Tune in. Tune in. Tune in. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game podcast by Golf Saudi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Power of the Game podcast with Golf Saudi. Today's special guest is Olivia Cowan. She's one of the rising stars in women's golf, just 25 years of age. And earlier this year, she gained her breakthrough victory on the ladies' European tour. It came in the inaugural Aramco Team Series, and it came in London back in July at the Centurion Club. She did it in the team format. She's got some great insight into what that meant for her and what it could mean for her and her future career moving forward. And she's also got some great ideas on how we can all work together to grow the women's game in popularity as golf continues to capitalize on such a boom period for the sport. Let's get stuck into it then. It's Olivia Cowan on the Power of the Game podcast with Golf Saudi. Olivia Cowan, champion, of course, on in the London Aramco Team Series event. First victory on the LET. We're going to get to that in, in a few moments, Olivia, but it's great to have you with us. How do you feel getting ready to tear it up in, in an event, which I'm sure brings back a few good memories for you? Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I think it's really interesting to have it in America as well. I haven't been here in a while. Um, the course looks amazing. We've got some really good players here as well this week, so it should be interesting. It's, I think it's the best ever field in ladies' European tour history. I mean, you've got obviously Nelly Corda is playing, Jessica as well, Anna Norgfist, who's just won her third major championship, uh, Lexi Thompson as well. I mean, that must feel, that raises the stakes, I guess, before before the battle begins. Yeah, um, a lot of really good players here this week. Um, I guess it is a little bit scary. <laughs> um <laughs> No, but I think we're all up for the challenge, so it is should it, be a fun week. Is it a different feeling, kind of going in as someone who's kind of won this uh, this iteration over over in London at the Centurion Club? Um, yeah, I guess you kind of you kind of know what works. You kind of uh, know how to, you know, win a team event because um, you've done it before. But I mean, it is you just got to see what comes. You don't know who you're going to get as a pick. I could be last to pick and everyone that I'd wanted to pick would be gone. So um, yeah, you don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting kind of quirk to the format, isn't it? This draft system, which, which we're going to get onto, but what we've done with all the guests on this podcast, Olivia, is we've kind of gone all the way back to the beginning of, of your golfing journey, your golfing story, if you like, and and just to try to get a sense as, as I guess, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia tries to kind of do their bit to grow the game locally in, in, in the kingdom. It'll be great to get a, a kind of feel for how it all started for you and how you sort of fell in love with this sport, really. Um, well, my dad, he's a golf coach. So um, I, I started really That's early. Handy. My whole, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so my whole family played golf. So it was kind of, kind of a no brainer. I knew I was going to start. My dad started, uh, started playing golf with me really early. So I was three years old when I like first picked up a golf club, um, and kind of just fell in love with it there. Really. I just couldn't stop practicing, um, loved the sport and, uh, knew at about 14 years old that I wanted to do it professionally. So I went down that route. And was it quite a simple decision for you? Because at 14, you know, you're obviously still at school. You've got all sorts of other kind of distractions going on in your life. And, and you have to be very single minded to be a professional golfer and, and very, very focused on, on, on what you want to do and what you need to do. Because obviously, if you're not, there's a lot of people who, who are ready to do and make those sacrifices. So obviously making sacrifices was something that came quite naturally to you. 
Yeah, I mean, I obviously did think about maybe going to college in the States um, and doing other things, but for, I don't know, for some reason, golf just catched me and I just didn't want to stop playing. And I, I knew that's what I wanted to continue and wanted to pursue as my job. So um, I did everything for it, really. I just I, I knew I wanted to turn professional, so I did. Um, and I went down, I, I played the access tour, won that, and then got on tour and kind of just went from there. And it's been pretty good. Yeah. You made an amazing start. I think on the access tour, you, you, as you mentioned, you just, you, you won the, the tour, you won the order of merit. And then obviously the jump onto the, the main tour proper, I think at just 19 years of age. Um, how did you find that transition? Because, it's not easy, is it? The depth of competition and and obviously everything is new. You're very young. You're you're traveling the world, and and it's got to be a big adjustment to make. Yeah, um, I did actually play Q school. Um, I think the year before, when I was 18 years old. I'm not sure what year that was. I think it was 2014. Um, and I was playing good, but I wasn't holding enough putts to make it through the final stage. Um, so that was that was kind of a knockback. And then I was kind of trying to figure out my next plan. I decided not to turn professional straight away. And I decided to continue as an amateur and play all the big amateur events. Um, and I did actually win two of the biggest ones in that year and um, kind of did the access tour while I was an amateur as well. Um, right. Cause I could still get points as an amateur. So I won, I think three events um, that year. And then I turned professional in July um and then yeah won that and then went on to the european tour um it is a bit different than when you're an amateur but then again a lot of the girls that i played with as an amateur turned turned professional kind of the same time as i did so i knew a lot of people on tour so um there were a lot of people that i didn't know and i and i looked up to as well um, but there were also a lot of people that I did know. So that was a bit easier to then transition into yeah. the professional life. And I think what, what kind of armchair fans of the game maybe don't realize is the depth of quality lower down through the divisions. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, out here in the middle East, we've got the Mina tour for the guys and, and you get some serious players on that tour and it's, it's a development tour. Essentially it's, it's the rung below say a challenge tour. And then obviously with the access tour, you've got the let and then ultimately, I suppose at the top of the pyramid in the, in the women's game, you've got the LPGA, but you know, it's, it's, it, it adds pressure, doesn't it? Because, um, you know, it's very difficult to hold your spot when you're starting out, I would imagine. Yeah. I guess when you first get on tour, you might not think you might look up to these players and think, Oh, they're so good. And am I good enough to beat them? But you've got just, you've just got to stick to what you know and how you do your routines and how, how you prepare for the events. And then you've just got to believe in yourself that you are good enough. Um, and, uh, then it will work out. Is patience the number one Kind of commodity, do you think, for, for a professional golfer, the fact that you're going through these emotional ups and downs, and uh, if it's not working out for you that week, it's it's all about just resetting and staying on a nice level, even keel. Yeah, I would say patience is key with with this sport for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm still trying to trying to be patient to obviously try and get that win. I've been close a few times, but 
um, yeah, you've just got to stick with what you know, keep going, and it will happen eventually. The the 2019 uh, Moonlight Classic over here in Dubai was was obviously a big moment for you. I know you finished. I think that's a, a personal best for you in an, in an individual event of a tied for second place finish. Talk us through that how significant that was, if you can, uh, Olivia, in, in your kind of career development and what you recall from that week. Um, yeah, it was an amazing week. Um, obviously, I love coming to Dubai. Um, my sponsors, JA Resorts, is there. So it kind of feels like a second home going there. Um, I have a lot of people who um, who are there to support me. So all in all, it's just a really fun week for me. Um and yeah, that was, it was, it was a cool week. It's exciting final round as well. Um, obviously we were quite close coming down to the last hole. Anything could have happened. And uh, unfortunately it didn't go my way, but um, I think it does give you confidence going forward. And obviously you've had some high finishes in, in the order of merit. I think uh, a couple of seventh place finishes, and I believe you're currently seventh in this season's order of merit. So I guess the goal is to is to go a few better this time around, and what better opportunity yeah. than this week, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, my goal my goal was definitely to try and win the Order of Merit. Um, that is going to be hard this year, I think. <laughs> I'm going to have to win a few events. Um, no, but yeah, just to try and work my way up, really, um, just to keep playing solid golf. Um, and, um, yeah, that's what I'll be happy with. Yeah. I mean, what have you noticed about how the ladies European tour has evolved even in the last couple of years? Because I think, you know, I think back to, you know, maybe even 10 years ago when, when there were a couple of events that were struggling for sponsorship and there, there was some general kind of, you know, maybe pessimism about the future. Now, I think that now it's changed completely. And, and I think actually Saudi Arabia's investment in the tour has, has been a really good insurance for it, that it's, that it's, you know, it, it, it believes in, in the ladies European tour and, and, and a lot of money has been pumped into that tour. It feels like it's a much more robust golf tour now, especially with the Alliance with the LPGA than it was say five, six years ago. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, I think a lot more people are interested in watching women's golf and a lot more people are following the ladies European tour in particular as well. Um, Obviously, Saudi uh, Saudi Golf have come in and have wanted to really help us out, which is amazing. And I think also having some LPGAs come out, LPGA players coming out to our events to support it as well. Um, it gives us, you know, a bit more coverage, and it gives it, it shows people um, what our tour is about. Obviously, they have a big following, so um, if they promote it, a lot more people will be interested in the Ladies European Tour. Um, and yeah, Saudi golf is obviously they're doing an amazing thing, giving us five events, um, which, yeah. which is amazing. So, um, and the events that they put on are the best of the year. And we're going to get to those in just a second, but in terms of like women's sport in general, Olivia, I, I feel like the last three or four years have been, that have represented like a massive breakthrough. If you, if you go on BBC sport now, for example, half the stories are, are, are kind of women's sport. Women's football has, has really taken off. I think the world cup has played a massive part in that. I think the Solheim cup has played a massive part in, in obviously women's um, women's golf kind of transcending a quite, quite a sort of limited audience to, to really grow its reach. And, you know, you only have to look at the tennis and, and what uh, Emma Raducanu did uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in Flushing Meadow to, to know that that was the story, even eclipsing what Novak was trying to do in, in the men's event. Now, as a professional female athlete, is that something that you have noticed sort of from the inside looking out? 
Yeah, hundred percent. Um, over the past three, four years, um, women's sport has just gone up by so much. Um, a lot more people are interested in women's sport. Um, you know, it's not, you know, even like women's football, obviously football is like, it's quite hard to top with the men's because football is so massive, um, men's football, but, um, yeah, I just hear like weekly, everyone talking about women's football, women's tennis, Emma Raducanu. I mean, that was massive. I watched that. It was a great match. And, um, I think we're just showing people that, you know, it's the same sport. Doesn't matter. doesn't really matter what gender, like we're just as good as the men. Um, and people are realizing that. And, um, I think that's why there is more coverage and people are following more and, um, yeah. What was the sort of, I know it's a really difficult question that, that, uh, a lot of executives struggle to kind of find the answer to, but what's the key to kind of ensuring that it grows further and kind of it maximizes its potential? Cause it feels to me like there's an amazing, I hate to sort of use the phrase product because it's sort of so sterile, isn't it? It's a sport at the end of the day, but it feels like there's something amazing there that just, if only a few more people were aware of it, you know, interest would just, would just kind of exponentially grow. Yeah. It's, um, it's hard. I mean, I think, what would what would help us is also having we've had a few this year is having mixed events um you know we had one in sweden which went really well um where the girls kind of showed the guys that you know we're just as good as you we can play the exact same course and we can beat you yeah. <laughs> um and i think uh, i think that's uh, you know shown a lot of people um what we can actually do and I think just to grow the sport as well is really having us, us players, us professionals, maybe going to having these pro-ams, having kids clinics as well, just getting kids into it early. Um, you know, I know golf isn't an easy sport for younger girls or younger boys to get into just because you need a lot of patience. But yeah, I think if we, if we could do a bit more in that sense, you know, go to some, go to some schools and introduce golf to, to them and just show them how, you know, if you stick to it and work with it, how, how you can be hitting the ball in a few years, how you can be performing, showing our lifestyle, what you could be having. And um, yeah, I think that would be quite interesting. If, it feels like, I mean, golf's had a boom in the last, I don't know, 18 months, probably sit, but due to in, in a large part, COVID. And, and, you know, I speak from my own personal experience. It got me back into the game. You know, it made me realize how much I, I love the game and how much I sort of miss playing it, even for the couple of months that, that we weren't able to do that. And now it's, it's become a sport, which has established itself as, as something that is safe for people to go and do. And it's a pastime that, you know, kind of conforms to all the restrictions that we've been living with these last 18 months. And there's a real opportunity, I think, for golf to kind of capitalize on this surge in interest. And I mean, what's disappointing about that is that the Olympics, I felt had an opportunity to, to do something with the mixed kind of event. It's such a shame that they didn't, that they didn't, that they went down such a traditional stereotypical yeah. and they probably thought, you know, let's do the way we want it to be like a major, you know, we want it to be, you know, very uniform 72 holes. Whereas I think there's something that, that maybe can be done more creatively, maybe at the top level that that can actually broaden golf's appeal. Do you agree with that? I fully agree with that. I think the Olympics is one um, event where they could just do so much more with. Um, I, I played in the Youth Olympics um, a few years ago, and it was one of the best two weeks of my life. 
and we had a mix event so we had like three days of the mix event and then we had three days of an individual event so it had both but it was really it was just fun to actually feel like you are in a team event and obviously yeah you're playing for your country but it's also fun to um you know share that with a team member as well um and I played so for with the youth olympics it was one girl and one boy that was picked so um i played with um a boy called jonas liebisch and we played um three days of three different types of formats for mixed and um it was just so much fun and i i agree i think that's what they should change has the game in germany kind of been growing behind the scenes is is it is interest in in golf in germany kind of developing these last few years? Because I know obviously when Martin Keimer was world number one about 10 years ago, he he attracted a lot of media attention, which he actually admitted to not really enjoying so much because he, he didn't really like being in the limelight that much. But, you know, I suppose you do need kind of a household name, I suppose, to to make a big impact like that. Yeah, I think, um, I think it is growing in Germany, um, but I don't think it is as big as in other countries, obviously, I mean, I think the UK is way bigger. It's just, it, in, it gets introduced to you when you're in school as well. You have school golf teams and things like that, but you don't really have that in Germany. It is growing, but it's slowly growing. Let's talk about your breakthrough win on the Ladies European Tour back in July at the Centurion Club. Obviously the Aramco Team Series, which is taking part this week, at, uh, at new in New York as we build up to the kind of finale in in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia but what are your sort of memories of that week how special was it um to kind of fall in with the, with a team that that you gelled with so brilliantly and and you managed to kind of keep it together and go all the way yeah I can't really describe how that week was it was just an incredible feeling really um obviously I got to play with a, a good friend of mine Serena who sadly isn't here this week, so I can't pick her. Okay. <laughs> um, can't pick her again. No, but um, I was just really lucky. And then we had Diksha as well. And um, I think we were just all ready to have a great week. And I said to Serena before, I said, I'm here. I just want to have a fun week, you know, see if we can we can do well. But I don't want to put any pressure on us. Um, let's just go and have fun every day. And that's kind of what we did. You know, we picked our team outfits every day and kind of so we would have this team atmosphere. Um, we picked the song together and everything. And uh, yeah, we just went out there and had some fun, really. And was mixing it up in a way kind of did that allow you to relax? Because golf is quite it can be quite sort of uh, formal for want of another better word, you know, especially when you when you go away from the team events into those stroke play events, it, it's very serious on that first tee. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, I guess it's, it's difficult to be upbeat and keep your energy levels high. Whereas I would imagine for this event in London, that wasn't the case. That wasn't an issue for you. No. Um, I mean, I was just, for me, all in all, it was just a great week. You know, I got to play with one, a good, one of my good friends. Um, my boyfriend was out watching every day. His family was there. So I had a lot of support that week anyway. Um, so, yeah, for me, it was just just a really enjoyable week. And um, I think that's what you kind of have to remember at these events is that, you know, it is a team event and you want to win it and you just got to enjoy it, really. You can't put too much pressure on yourself or your team. Um, otherwise it won't work. 
I've played in a couple of pro-ams and as an amateur golfer, I can say that we often feel uh, like we're getting in the way for want of an, a better phrase of, of the pros. And that's even just in a practice round where they're trying to get their yardages and figure out how they want to play the course. And we're just kind of in the background hacking away and taking a gazillion shots. So what about Andrew? Did he feel the heat in the event? Was he a worthy kind of teammate to have or was he someone you had to babysit? <laughs> no, I mean, we couldn't have asked for a better teammate, to be honest. He was amazing. He was quite nervous. Um, I would say the first and the final day, he was quite nervous. Um, but I think we we tried to make him feel as relaxed as possible. We we enjoyed his company and I think he had... I, I hope he enjoyed ours. <laughs> um, I'm sure he but, did. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, we just had, we just, yeah, he was a great addition to the team. He helped out a lot. And um, the final day he was a bit more nervous. There were cameras there, but we just tried to tell him to just, you know, just, just play your game. Don't worry about it. Just have a good time. And, We'll be fine. Yeah, he's a braver man than I am. That's for sure. <laughs> I would, I would have been absolutely petrified in front of those yeah, TV I cameras. Mean, Did he have a putt that mattered, Olivia? That's he, the question. Yeah, he, he did all three days. He chipped in. So he did was, he? He did. Yeah, I think the first day he chipped, chipped definitely chipped in more than me. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Wow. So he did his bit. He it's did his bit. Team. Yeah. How did you celebrate the win? Well, we had um, we had a few drinks. Um, a bit of dinner, um, a small gathering. <laughs> sure. <laughs> just, just enjoyed it. Yeah. But it must, must have been a nice moment because it's again, when you're, when you win, when you win tournaments as an individual, obviously you celebrate with your, with your kind of support team around you, but uh, to celebrate with teammates, I mean, I, I do feel like it's an important part of golf's future because I always watch Solheim Cups, Ryder Cups. And I think how can they take that energy and and kind of make sure that it's spread across the year a little bit more because it's so special. And I know they're special for a reason because they only happen every couple of years, but it just seems like golf has this opportunity to, you know, make it, make itself more dynamic by introducing more of these kind of formats to the regular tournament play. Yeah, I agree. I think everyone always comes back after Solheim Cup, Ryder Cup, um, you know, any team event really, they're like, oh, this is an amazing week. I enjoyed it so much. And I think that should be, I think that should happen more. I think, you know, I would love to have um, a team event with, with, with the guys as well. I would have, um, you know, one of the guys as my partner or just, you know, play for Germany. It should happen more often and not just for the Solheim Cup, not just for the Ryder Cup, not just the Olympics. Um, you know, we'd all like to experience it. And it is very enjoyable, something like that. Obviously, golf is quite lonely as an individual. Um, so I think if you have these weeks where you have a team, it's, it's just so much more enjoyable because you can share it with other people. Just wondering from like, I, I always sort of feel like I'm a massive golf fan. I've watched it since I was a kid. You know, I love the majors. I love the Solheim Cup. I love the Ryder Cup. I tend to kind of, in regular tournaments, it's difficult to sort of follow the narrative because there's, there's often a different winner every single week and, and the tours on both the men's and women's side have become quite fragmented because they're both, you know, very old institutions that are very well established and they've both done very well when I'm talking about, you know, European and, and PGA Tour and, and obviously LET and LPGA. Is, is golf's future more streamlined than that, do you think? Is, is there a kind of collective impetus to sort of get everything together and kind of structure it a little bit more so there's not kind of 
events going on all over the globe and, and you can kind of as a viewer as a fan you can follow the action a bit more easily I think that is probably the problem with women's golf is that you know you have the men's golf on and you have the women's golf on and a lot of the people choose to watch the men's rather than the women's just because they know a lot more players um so I also think what would help is maybe if we were at the same venue as them, you know, maybe then the men would then watch it more because they'd, they'd think, oh, the men have played this score on that course, but the girls have played this course score on the course, you know, would maybe compare it a bit more and that would maybe get you into watching it more as well. It's a tough one. I mean, I guess I feel like golf's going through these sort of changes at the moment and, and let's see what happens. I mean, ultimately uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to, how, how it all shakes out. I just feel that, you know, to sort of secure and safeguard the future of the sport, it probably needs to maybe go down more of the tennis route where there's, you know, there's an, there's a WTA and an ATP and that's kind of everything sort of falls on under that. And, and, uh, and golf isn't like that, but you know, these are, these are tricky, these are tricky conundrums for like, obviously the, the, the kind of custodians of the game, Olivia, and you're just trying to focus on winning a golf tournament. So I don't want to burden you with too much <laughs> in the way of that. I mean, does the, I suppose to bring it back to the Saudi and the team Aranko series, does it have the capacity to sort of fundamentally change the, the impetus on the LET, would you say? Um, yeah, definitely. I think it is changing um, people's minds about golf. You know, I, I, it's giving people more ideas to maybe have more of these team events, you know, it is fun to watch. I heard a lot of great feedback when we won in London, everyone saying, Oh my God, it was, it was amazing to watch you as a team, you know, how you, how you stuck together and worked as a team. And I think it's a bit more enjoyable to watch than just as an individual, because it is so intense. Um, you know, when you watch tournaments um, and when we play tournaments, but if you're in a team event, there, I think there are just so much more, there's so much more emotion that we show as a team um, than an individual. Um, for us, it's more enjoyable when we have this, these team events and not always every week we're trying to fight for, you know, just for us, basically. Um, and I think for people watching it is more enjoyable as well. So hopefully, you know, in the future, um, it won't just be of ind individual events. It will, you know, we'll try and incorporate team events and all match play events. I think that would be really interesting to have more of as well. Um, yeah, hopefully that will, that will change the game. How was your experience of watching the Solheim Cup? I really enjoyed it. Um, it was amazing. You know, a European team did, did great things. Um, yeah, they smashed it. They really did. And they did it under the weirdest of circumstances because they didn't have any, any European fans. It was, it was a completely hostile atmosphere and they were up against a really strong American team. And uh, that must have been quite inspiring for you. I mean, yeah, did, you, did you think to yourself, I'm, I'm going to make one of those teams? That's, is, it, did that become like a very defined goal for you? Yeah, you know, I've, I've always said I've, I've, I would love to be a part of the Solheim Cup team. And it is definitely one of my goals um, that I'm trying to reach. Um, so yeah, who knows? Maybe in two years I'll be I'll be on the team. Yeah, who knows? Fingers crossed on that front. And, and Saudi Arabia. I mean, you've obviously had a chance to go over there and play in at the Royal Greens Golf Club, and 
The plans are dazzling for all of these mega developments that they're doing for all the course designers, for all the golf courses they're planning. And it's a top to bottom growth of the game over there. That's going to be as an observer, quite interesting to watch over the, the years. But what have been your impressions, Olivia, of playing golf in a country where let's be honest, five, six, seven years ago, no one was vis visiting. No one was playing golf there. When I went there um, for the first time, it didn't feel any different than any other country, to be honest. Um, you know, everyone was really open, really welcoming. And um, just like the course, the course is amazing that we play. It's challenging um, and very quirky in ways. Um, and how they put on events is... I was talking to one of my friends, Anne, today, you know, she was saying like this event here is it's like a major, like the effort they put into it and to to make our week special is just um, unbelievable. And we're so grateful for it. With, with Saudi uh, really sort of really going into the grassroots kind of development side of the game with all the coaches. And I think they're doing stuff very, very sort of innovatively and uh, urban golf and all this sort of different stuff that, that um, isn't what you would call traditional. What is the key to kind of ensuring that it's not just about getting young girls to try the game, but it's actually about getting them to sort of take it up proper and, and actually turning them into proper golfers? Um, I think, well, I think the most important bit is just, you know, having clinics at, at like tournaments and, you know, having, inviting girls from, girl groups from schools and stuff to come and, and just watch the golf, free tickets for them to come any day. Um, you know, us having, give, giving them a, a little lesson, showing them how golf, uh, how golf is. And um, I think that's all we can really do. And like to introduce them to the sport and hopefully they'll get hooked on it like we have um, and then continue as well. Olivia, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this, on this podcast been great to have you and, and get you. your thoughts on on a wide range of, of topics and I, I wish you obviously all the best with with the team this week um the draft is, is something I just wanted to quickly ask you about because uh that's quite a sort of a new way of of doing a kind of golf event H how is it as a player to be involved in that it's nerve-wracking to be honest um because I don't know I don't know when I'm going to be you know when I'm going to be allowed to pick so I'll know that just before um I've made a little list of names that hopefully I can pick from. Um, okay, you've got a wish list. <laughs> yeah, I've got a little wish. Um, yeah, I just hope I'm one of the first to pick. That makes it a lot easier. <laughs> okay, fingers crossed on that front. Olivia, an absolute pleasure. Obviously wish you uh, all the success for the remainder of the season. Uh, hopefully catch up with you over in the Middle East as well when you're next over here playing golf. And um, are you actually, are you going to be playing in Dubai later on this month? Are you coming over for yeah. the Moonlight Classic? Yeah, I'll be there. We'll catch up with you then. Olivia, Definitely. thank you so much for joining us on the Power of the Game podcast. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Olivia. That was brilliant. Thanks.